Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. What's rocking and rolling, fantastic people of planet Earth? What a privilege and honor to be with you again. I hope that wherever you are, you're doing fantastic, and I am sending you big hugs and love through the airwaves. We have another tremendous episode of the show for you today. We have Francoise Borza on, and we are talking about her new book, Consciousness Medicine, Indigenous Wisdom, Entheogens, and Expanded States of Consciousness. This is a fantastic episode. We cover a lot of material in this one. We talk about how the indigenous use psychedelics to connect with spirit, why the Native Americans believe that the natural world is holy, reaching expanded states is an ancient practice, or why it is, uh, ways to experience expanded states, rituals, art, contemplation, and nature, Hakomi therapy, somatic therapy, uh, why you need to know yourself why all works to why all work leads to three questions techniques are rituals for growth why reaching out to friends is important attaining a meaningful a meaningful frame in what you do and so much more this is such a packed episode i know that you're going to enjoy it if you like it please share it on your facebook share on instagram Tag me at Matt Belair. Take a screenshot. Let me know what you're listening. Let me know if you have any questions. Let me know what you liked. Um, I would love to hear from you guys. I would love to have your input. Um, You can also leave a review in iTunes. That helps tremendously. And you can also toss a buck in the bucket on Patreon. Thank you so much to my patrons. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair and throw in just such a small amount you won't even notice if you want to support the show it helps so much even if it's a buck trust me it helps immensely so thank you guys so much for your support I really appreciate it and the best way to support the show as you know if you've listened to before is to do one kind act for another human being today even better take the kindness challenge i get such great feedback from people who have done the challenge and saying hey this has changed my life i know that it changed mine and all you need to do is just do three kind acts go out of your way to do it and resist the urge to tell anybody do it for a week and it may become just how you are in the world and you may get a universal wink something strange will happen just for you to know that you're on the right path so i encourage you to do that For those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you really want to dive deep on all the topics that we touch on the podcast, you're looking to live a life of purpose, of meaning, of step into your life path and to know where you're going with certainty and you want the tools to overcome any limiting beliefs, you want to be able to get crystal clear on your life mission and you want strategies for getting there quickly and efficiently and you want to do it in a way that the process or the frame around the journey is incredibly empowering it's joyous and it's fun if you are if that sounds good then hit me up matt at zenathlete.com or go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and i will happily help you out i'm taking on even more clients and i love to work with people one-on-one and even if we just do one-off sessions there's one-off sessions there's hypnotic heart journey sessions there is mentorship mentorship and everything in between also if you run an organization and you want to do something on leadership peak performance flow states and all of that kind of thing again just make an inquiry on the website let me know about you your team your goals and your visions and we will happily craft something that is specific and tailored to you your group and your needs so thank you guys so much for listening to this show i want to thank my sponsor zen athlete a fantastic good uh, book uh, a guide to self-mastery something that i created so i can sponsor it myself and there's also a full program in 
on the website and it really is everything that you need to know to get to a goal, however big or however small, in the most practical and efficient way possible. It is what elite athletes must use to do things that have never been done. So if you take those techniques to do something that's impossible and you apply it to art, to entrepreneurship, or to a goal, you will get there much faster than if you don't and you will make great progress. So it is definitely for all people you don't need to be an athlete so check it out zenathlete.com and uh, if you know any athletes you know any kids you know any coaches please send them the book uh, send them to me and we'll happily get them all geared up because we need to teach this to the kids to empower as many people as possible so that is it that's all my rambling let's come to a state of peace and coherence before we get into this show wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath And just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, inspiration, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Francoise Borza. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a consciousness guide and counselor. She is a master's degree in somatic psychology and is a certified Hakomi practitioner. She has been weaving the healing potential of expanded states of consciousness and psychology together in her practice for over 30 years. She met her first teacher in San Francisco, who was a pioneer exploring the intersection of indigenous healing and psychotherapy. She later met her teacher of the last 20 years, an indigenous Mazatec woman leading healing ceremonies with sacred mushrooms in the high mountains of southern Mexico. Drawing from years of close apprenticeship with her Mazatec teacher, as well as training in other indigenous traditions, she has developed a comprehensive approach that bridges Western and indigenous modalities for healing and growth. She trains therapists and facilitators, teaches at the California Institute of Integral Studies, and lectures internationally. Welcome to the show, Francoise Borza. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. How did I do with the pronunciation? I felt that was Yeah, that was great. That was wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Good. Well, I'm I'm glad we practiced at the beginning. You know, I was uh, lucky to be gifted uh, your book, and it's it's amazing. Um, I haven't been able to get all the way through it, but I've kind of gone through the chapters and 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 picked up things here and there. Your research is intense, and it's you have such experience. So I'm just, do you want to give uh, the people who don't know you a little bit about your background and and how long you've been really just bridging these worlds together? It's really amazing. Thank you. Um, yes, I uh, came to this country in 1981 um, at the age of 25 and um, uh, soon after met some very interesting people who were uh, both counselors and um, using expanded state of consciousness for their work as counselors, uh, including breath work and rituals of Native American origin, they were American, Native American people themselves, uh, expressive arts, and they were using psychedelics. And at the time, um, actually at the time, some of them were are still legal, you know, MDMA was legal. Um, uh, so, you know, in my, this little community of people exploring their own growth and their own healing, I was able to partake in those, uh, in those ceremonies, in those sessions. Um, what interested me in this uh, in this framework was the way the uh, the leader was really intersecting rituals and sacred ceremony with an intelligence that was based in psychotherapeutic language and and, and knowledge, and that really interested me. Um, later on, a few years later, I was able to uh, meet my teacher of twenty years, this Mazatec uh, woman involved in mushroom work in her indigenous uh, traditional framework and have been studying with him, with her and, and her family for the last uh, over 20 years now. And it's been really interesting to see how um, these worlds are very different, but in some way very similar. And my attempt over the years as a counselor and as a ceremony person has been to bridge create some kind of a, not a fusion, because uh, some kind of bridge between those two practices and to connect them so they can draw from each other, learn from each other and benefit from each other as well. 
That's amazing. Well, there's so many different avenues I want to go with this. And I, I hope that I, uh, you pick and choose what you think will be the most beneficial. But I'm curious, like the most <laughs> important lessons that you learned uh, studying with the indigenous cultures, and maybe if there's multiple uh, cultures that you studied with, I'd love for you to share what those are, and what you've learned. And then diving into psychedelics and um, entheogens, because I think it's a huge topic now. And I just was speaking yeah at uh, an online psychedelic conference, and I think it was very important, but, but my talk was about how uh, I wasn't, like I'm, I've, I've used them and, I was, and they've been helpful, but now it's kind of been watered down and there's not the same ceremony, there's not the same respect, there's not maybe proper use of these things. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you wanted to touch in on any of that and, and what you've seen and what you've learned and what you think right now about any, any of that. Great. So what seems to be really meaningful and valuable for me uh, learning from these indigenous practices is their relationship with nature and their relationship with spirit, which is, of course, uh, part of their gift to us, the people who live in more industrialized world. I feel like they're, um, they're using the medicine as a, as a practice, as a a spiritual practice as a sacred practice of communing with the spirit or touching a vast space of consciousness and yet at the same time being so connected with the natural land having practices that are really profoundly animistic in terms of their uh, it's a very native it's very first nation people really thinking that everything is sacred everything has a spirit everything is holy so the land is holy the tree is holy the rocks are holy the rain is holy and their um their engagement with the natural world is quite different from what we have here we go to nature but they have a whole relationship with nature spirits and they do offerings and they use nature for cleansing you know brushing their body with plants and they have um they, they burn the, 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 the sap of the tree or the leaves to, 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 to cleanse themselves in the room and to prepare the sacred mushroom. They have a whole interface with nature that is quite different from what we do here, what we have. So I think that there's a lot of this sacred dimension of using these plants that's very beneficial for us uh, and the relationship with nature. Um, I agree with what you say, you know, in this expansion of this curiosity and practices with psychedelic nowadays and all the books written about it and this research that's happening, um, the, the, the danger, in my opinion, is the possibility of losing sight of the sacred aspect of this um, use of these entheogens and psychedelics and um, using them more in a medicalized, scientific lab research platforms which have a lot of validity of course but also they are losing what's lost in translation for me i feel sometimes is the holistic sacred natural uh, aspect of this practice so uh, part of my narrative nowadays in this world in this uh, culture of psychedelics is to really remind people that you know before the psychedelics were in a lab they were in nature in practices with indigenous people and that's something for us to remember and draw from and not lose sight of beautiful i love that answer and what i want to get straight into is you know right in your book you know it's a great title consciousness medicine indigenous wisdom entheogens and expanded states of consciousness for healing and growth and i would love for you with your background in you know psychotherapy and healing and things like that what's your definition of expanded states and is it is it necessarily that that we need an entheogen that that could be a possibility or are there other ways that we can uh reach these expanded states to have more healing or more awareness to move forward the idea of an expanded state is sort of um a, a very ancient practice. It's a very ancient practice. People have been doing expanded states forever. As far as, ba- as far as back as we see humanity, there has been rituals, there has been drumming, there has been dancing, there has been practices of different kinds. Uh, you know, we come from uh, a, a, a society where rituals, initiation, and 
and, and coming together as communities around uh, sacred practices was done for millennia. We have lost it, but we are just basically returning to this, um, these practices. So I think it's, there's nothing new here. Um, expanding, expanding consciousness is part of the human experience that we all ought to explore one way or the other. And if we don't do um, theogens or psychedelics, which is totally valid if someone doesn't feel like this is part of their uh, access or there's too much fear or there's not safe or, you know, there's different reasons why, you know, they they do meditation, do dancing, they do rituals, do breath work, they do expressive arts, they do all kinds of other things that are uh, contemplation in nature. You know, they do different practices that bring people into an expanded state. Basically, we have, we have our normal states of consciousness, we will call it, our ego structure. The way we think and the way we feel who we are is what we are, right? I mean, we have a certain experience of our, of our uh, human experience. And when, when we provide ourselves a different framework where we can have access to a bigger picture, either because we are quiet or because we're moving our body or because we are in a sweat lodge or because we're in a, in a, in a sacred ceremony with medicine, we, we access other layers of our possible potential of human experience. And I think that those are very beneficial. Those are, are adding to uh, the richness of our human life, the richness of our emotions, of a spiritual dimension, access to what it's like to be in community or what it's like to be in nature. It really adds to our human experience. It gives us a lot of uh, clarity to what we feel, why we feel what we feel, where in our body we feel what we feel, what is it connected to and how to express it and how to, uh, like I said in the book, how to circulate these energies that are part of our human experience. So I believe that expanded states are really part of our menu you know, just like we feel meditation is part of our menu, right? People meditate or people go to Chinese medicine. Now this is part of a, you know, sort of part of a, 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 a accepted uh, health practice, right? Or people do yoga because it's part of, it's part of a repertoire. And I feel like expanded state of consciousness are part of this human repertoire as well. Oh, beautiful. Amazing. I love that. I, I love the, uh, the word menu and, and you're right. And we look at the society that we're in now and, and so many people we get, we caught in a pattern and we've stopped experimenting with different ways of yes. things, but also thing, the interaction with nature and also mm-hmm. art, you know, speaking about art, uh, going out mm-hmm. in nature, using your body in different ways. We're kind of devaluing that and valuing yeah. other things. And yeah. then we get out of whack. We feel out of whack. We feel out of control and we feel disconnected and these practices are very simple go in nature even if you suck at art and go paint something it's okay that that it sucks you know what i mean and it's a part of these these practices and it's a part of the menu but it's also um good for the soul and it makes you feel better and it also you know even sometimes with expanded states or altered states you know you could it can just be as as simple as what I, I, I've been referring to it as task list consciousness. You wake up and you have all these things that you need to do. And so mm-hmm. the mind is on the hamster wheel all day. And so yeah. we don't do anything yeah. that gets us off the hamster wheel. Yeah. So do anything that yeah. gets you off the hamster wheel. Run, yeah. sprint for 30 seconds. You'll be off it because you'll be tired. And you're, you're probably, if you haven't run in a long time, you'll be gasping. It, that'll that'll yeah. trigger outside of that, that general path. And that thing's going to be known and it's going to be in this box and you're not going to get other information in it. So... I really, I really enjoyed that answer. And what I'm curious about now is, you know, what, what did you see, you know, being around these indigenous cultures, uh, several different cultures, what did you see was the biggest differences as far as, you know, daily life, their beliefs, their habits, or their understanding of life? Like what were the biggest differences you saw and how they lived and what they believed and, and how they acted and how maybe our Western society is, is believing mm-hmm. and acting and doing? Mm-hmm. You know, these indigenous cultures always, to me, felt like they have a much better relationship with the sacred. What is sacred? What is ritual? What is, they're much calmer. They're much less stressed, you know. They're less, they're less uh, cognitively 
uh, hyperactive, like you said, you know, it's like a hamster in a, in a, in a wheel. They're much less busy on, in their mind and they're much more grounded in their body, in the land, and in time, the, the time slows down for them. They're le much less busy than we are. And they take the time. I mean, the Mazatec people are known for, you know, going to a healer and sitting on a bench for four hours before the healer is ready. And they sit there and they don't have any idea of I'm wasting my time or, or I'm, not, I'm not important for that healer. They just, they just sit and wait. You know, it's a very different concept and we are so uh you know as we know in the west or in the realized world most precious commodity right and we are i mean imagine how much stress we load on ourselves with with the notion of relationship with time and i mean i look at my appointment book and i'm certainly I'm, i can relate to that concept of time being really precious you know so um but for indigenous people, I find that they're, they're much more in sync with nature and they're much more in sync with cycles and time and things are stretching and they, they don't have to be anywhere at a certain time. There's a different relationship with time. That's just what comes to me as you ask this question, which I think is really relevant for how we could learn to slow down and appreciate the moment, right? Um, and then the relationship with nature, of course. I mean, most indigenous people have more contact with the ground either because they farm the land or because they have uh, a, a sacred practice that involves uh, ingesting a substance or because like in my book I talk about the Lakota tradition um, that I've been lucky to be invited to participate in and then you know you build a sweat lodge you sit in nature you contemplate you know a few hours you know the tree in front of you I mean it's again it's taking the time to be in nature and to pray and to be in a state of listening, they're much more, they're better listener. And they listen to subtlety and to the silence better than we do. Uh, we make a lot of noise and we are very busy and we don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, this is kind of, this is kind of in a nutshell, you, you know, this is us, right? <laughs> this is us. So, yeah. Oh man, that's funny. Well, I love hearing, you know, your answers because I've been um, studying with a Mi'kmaq elder for a couple of years. And, you know, I, I know uh, Clifford Mahuti as well. We haven't been as close, but I've been able to talk uh -huh. to him here and there and, and learn more from him in the Zuni culture and, you know, the way, right. you know, how his upbringing was and how it's different. And so some of my training that I have to do or the recommendations are different. And so one of them is forest, um, like uh, run, going for runs in the forest at night which is terrifying. Even in city parks is absolutely terrifying as an adult man who knows martial arts. I am totally freaked out. I'm some not, I'm, I'm getting better now, especially when I was doing it in Nelson, British Columbia, where there's cougars and bears. I was like, why am I doing this? This is crazy. Um, but you know, I think it, that's what reminded me of the, a lot of noise because I was like, I was so freaked out. He's just like, don't worry. You're the noisiest one in there. You're the one who's like so out of place because you're freaked out. You got to learn how to like integrate into that space and you got to learn how to relax and you got to learn how like, this is almost your natural state. We're so far removed yeah. from living in nature. It's like, I can't remember what it was. I think it was a buddy of mine posted something and he was upset about the birds. You know what I mean? I was like, what are they supposed to do, bro? They're in your environment. Like you're upset. They're on the building. You're, you're in nature. You are yeah. immersed in yeah. nature. What do you, yeah. what yeah. do you want to happen? And we're kind of, we're so separate. You know, we're, yeah. As uh, Joe Martino, I've recently uh, found out from Collective Evolution, he has a thing about containers. We're uh -huh. in the container of our house, then we're in the container of our car, and he could go on forever about yeah. containers. But um, we go to these really, um, uh, what do you call it? curated spaces, Yes. rather than the natural spaces. Yes, right. And there's a lot of information in there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we're not valuing that. So I guess... It, what were your, some of your biggest insights or your favorite experiences, whether it was a, a ceremony that you got an insight or you just enjoyed the experience or a ritual or anything like that? Do you have any favorite stories that come to mind? Well, you know, when you say that, it's a story about the bird. It was really funny because uh, when I was first going to Mexico, I would hear the dogs barking. There was dogs, you know, there was dogs everywhere, you know, stray dogs in the streets and in the mountain everywhere. And I would be there in my ceremony, you know, high up in my mushroom layer, you know, and really kind of in communion with things. And I would hear these dogs and they would bother me. A hell, you know, they would like really bother me. I said, God, these dogs and, you know, these dogs, you know, and I remember 
really being irritated, seriously irritated. Meanwhile, my teacher was singing and praying. I mean, nothing fazed her, you know, fazed her. It was like, okay, well, you know, the dogs are there. They're part of the, they're part of the landscape. And for me, they were super irritated. Um, and so then fast forward a few years, I'm back, I'm back there. I, I mean, I, I went back many, many times, but I was uh, again in a journey and I found myself being, having the dogs barking as they do every night. And I love them. You know, I love them. I felt like, oh, they're talking to each other and that one is over there in the other village and that one is over there on top of the mountain. And it was like the landscape, the mountain and the, 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 the sound of the mountain was part of what they were doing, you know, and, and it was actually a very different experience. And I was wondering, you know, what is inside me that is so, um, that is so different, really. Um, you know, in this Native American tradition where nature is really so potent and so holy and so um, uh, deep in terms of their teaching, I have, you know, sat in nature for hours or I have been in sweat lodges for hours and very uncomfortable. And yet at the same time, potency, immediacy of the teaching, part of being in nature is, uh, I mean, I totally agree. Running in the night in the forest sounds like a really, a really fabulous thing to do. Um, and for me, it's been more for me about stillness because I move a lot. So for me, stillness is kind of my healing modality and, and being still with a question in a spot in nature in a kind of a vision quest. I mean, uh, however that is the contemplation and the listening again to answer has been extremely important for me. And it can be from watching a spider make a web, which is, you know, on one hand, not like super exceptional. On the other hand, it's totally exceptional. And it totally is a trance if you stay with it, you know, long enough to watch it and the metaphor that it is for life and how it talks about my life. You know, what am I weaving? What am I, what is my patience? What is my capacity to repair when a thread is broken, what is my capacity to catch the light or, you know, um, so listening to, listening to what nature answers to our quest, our, you know, questions, our prayers, our wishes. Um, I found that always, always very, very meaningful. Um, I remember once, uh, being in a kind of contemplative space in nature like that. Um, with my teacher, we were on the land in Mexico and she had me sit in one place and she said, okay, lay down. And so I lay down and I looked down on the ground and there was one little bug climbing a blade of grass. I mean, okay, so I'm altered on mushroom, right? I mean, not very much, but I'm altered on mushroom because that's the, that's the ceremony, right? That's what the space she provides for me. In that case, it was just her and I. And I'm looking at this bug climbing this blade of grass and it was the human predicament. It was, she was climbing this blade of grass and she was falling and she was climbing again and the blade would blend and then she would fly out and then she would land in another blade of grass and then start all over again. And it was like an illustration of my meandering in my human life. I found so much solace and so much resonance and so much uh, sweetness in seeing my life in this bag. It was really my life that I was seeing in a nutshell and everybody's life, I guess, in some way. I mean, you know, we are human trying to do something and, you know, failing or I don't know, having hurdles and obstacles and then, and then we kind of reboot and then we start again and like that, right? So those, those moments of, uh, of insights and of teachings are really very precious and very, um, not only they're amazing because they're wonderful moments of, of, uh, of uh, wonder, really, and extraordinary insight, but they are also very sweet and very accessible. And that's what I like about uh, what nature offers us. You know, everything is there. Every, 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 every aspect of nature is a mirror for something inside us. Uh, and, the, and, the and the indigenous people really know that and they use that. Um, not only they use nature for their health and their balance and their, you know, doctoring of themselves, but they use, they are in relationship with nature f f for what nature reflects back.
That's wonderful. It seems that there's a few themes here that are really great. And one of them is reflection. One of them is getting involved and connected to nature. And then the other is, is the idea and the perception that everything is uh, spiritual. Everything is, uh, you know, has a spirit that is alive that we're a part of and that we're engaging in it. Because if you look at the natural world, it is alive and living. But then you look at the world, uh, the Western world, we're looking at the TV screens, our phones, uh, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of like the dead world. And we're spending more time in this artificial reality than out there, you know, reflecting and engaging. It's like, right. who has four hours to wait for anything? Who, you know, who has five minutes, you know, depending on what city you go in. And when I was doing coaching, it was always interesting. Well, I still do coaching, but I found it interesting when um, I work with somebody from New York, you know, and the way that they think. And then somebody who is like, because I also work with athletes and snowboarders and things like that. And so the snowboard culture and the, how they've designed their life, somebody who wants to be out in nature versus the hustle and bustle of a city. It's, the psychology yes. is so different. Yes. And, and, you know, like that the person in the city can, you know, in 20 minutes, but, you know, somebody closer to nature, whether it's snowboarding or skiing, we're like, yeah, that's where we want to be. We're using it. We're engaging it in a different way, but that's the space that we want to be in. Um, you know, what I'd love to ask you is you have a, a somatic psychology degree. And I'm curious with what you've learned, maybe you can explain that a little bit to people, but you know, it looks like on one end of our culture, a lot of people are, are suffering from anxiety and depression. And also mm-hmm. is very common. I was looking up one of Bruce Lipton's talks and he said when he, when he surveys his uh, audience, 80 to 90% say they don't love themselves. Yeah. It's a, you know, and so when we're yeah. looking at things from like the bottom layer yeah. and then yeah. we move up to, okay, we're out of the bottom layer now. Now we're in the empowered layer and we want to imagine our lives and we want to feel good and happy and we want to build our dreams and we want to live in an empowered state. So from what you've learned on the psychology perspective and also, um, you know, the indigenous cultures, what can you offer people of like, why are we like this? How do we, how do we break those limiting beliefs about ourselves and, and be in an empowered state and then, and mm-hmm. move toward, uh, you know, pursuing what we like, building yes. our dreams and having a happy life? Yes. Well, that's great. That's a great question. You know, thank you for asking it. I think that um, this is what has been interesting for me because this expanded state of consciousness are really bringing people into a larger dimension. And then there is our psychology, you know, so we go into those states generally for the adventure of it and for the curiosity and because we, we can, you know, and because it, it offers a, a layer that is interesting and mysterious, but we also go there because there are something in us that is not well. A lot of people come in my office, you know, or I've come in my, in my trips to Mexico because they say, you know, something's wrong with me. I'm, I'm stuck. I have this wrong belief system or have this childhood that created this heaviness in me or I'm depressed or I have this anxiety. I'm always kind of anxious and worried about everything. And generally, it's, it, that's where the psychology comes handy. It's, it is not a coincidence. There is a background, there is a, the, a foundational layer from childhood, from circumstances, cultural, the country in which people live, the, 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 the religi- religious environment sometimes may have been really intense, uh, the family environment, of course, what, what happened there, or the school environment, or the sport environment. And, and those different containers have impacted the person on a psychological level and create belief systems. And the Hakomi therapy um, practice is interesting because it's a, it's a therapy modality that explores how people hold their tension, their belief, their emotions, and their hopes on a physical level. So people track from a state of mindfulness what really is the body saying, what really is the body stopping, what is the body um, containing or blocking or compressing, right? And what is the body wanting to say? And so I really like that method because it's a direct uh, read into the way we organize our emotions, emotion, uh, physically, somatically. And what I, uh, when people come to me and they want to explore expanded states, I'm saying, okay, why? What's happening in your life? What is your intelligence regarding the state of affairs? You know, what is the lay of the land inside yourself? What is your, um, what is your territory? You know, and they say, well, you know, I have that issue. I'm strong there, but I have that issue. You know, that's why in my book, I have this uh, holistic model, you know, with all these different aspects that people can explore. So they see 
where where is uh, where is the pain you know where is the loneliness where is the uh, where, what is the depression about? What is, what is this anxiety really saying? And by examining that from a psychological therapeutic angle, we can then uh, form an intention. We can form a direction for these expanded states. We can then um, uh, have a goal. I mean, it's not a goal like, you know, we're going to, you know, it's not, it's not cool. I mean, I, I, I like to call it a goal because that's a vision and that's a hope for the future, right? That's, we, can, we can define what, what do we want five years from now? You know, what do we want two years from now? That's, that's legitimate. But it's more like a wish. It's more like a direction, an intention, an orientation for, for, the, for, for the work, for the growth. And, um, so yeah, the, uh, the expenditures of consciousness uh, based on a psychological understanding is offering... Uh, uh, this transformation uh, of belief system, they can be transformed. Belief systems don't have to be stagnant. They don't have to be rigid. And you know what I said in the book, calcified, you know, they don't have to be that way. They can, they can, they can change. Wow. Okay. Well, you said a lot there. My, my mind was going all <laughs> over the place. I just finished reading. I, I read it uh, a while ago, but I kind of, refreshed on uh, Maxwell Malta's book, uh, Psycho-Cybernetics. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I really think it's a fantastic book. And a lot of the stuff that I read on psychology, you know, Bruce Lipton, Dr. Joe Dispenza, uh, Maxwell Maltz, personal development, mm -hmm. law of attraction, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it talks about the unconscious mechanism, our subconscious right. mind, our subconscious thoughts right. and, our, and beliefs. And the way that he calls it, it's like the servo mechanism. It's like this thing inside you that's going to help you create, you know, what your unconscious beliefs are. And, and, and when you were, when you were talking about, it, it's like almost, it, it becomes the goal, you know, yep. what are you striving towards? But the very beginning has to be an introspection and yes. that's what we're not doing. We're not, we're not just analyzing. And right. if we, even if we can write it down and get it on paper and then, right. you know, express it through art, express it through that's writing, right. doesn't matter right. what it is, that's sit right. by a tree and ask the tree and then think about it for an hour. Right. But what happens is we give it absolutely zero time. Not a little bit of time, not 10 minutes and we want this quick fix and then we want some medication or a pill that's going to mm -hmm. help us feel better. Yep. And we're wondering why we're so off track, but we're not yep. taking the time to converse with ourselves, to have a dialogue, to sit, to listen, to uh, engage with our body and then also to listen to it and, and just okay. have this this dialogue, I think it's a very important part of life that people, you know, a lot of the time aren't valuing or aren't giving time to just right. like maybe we're not giving enough time to our health. Maybe we're not giving enough time to other things. Go ahead. Well, exactly. Like no, I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm just totally, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you say that, I, what comes to me is that yeah, if you want to love yourself, you have to know yourself. And if you want to know yourself, you got to spend time with yourself. You know, it's, mm. it, 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 you got to write in your journal, you got to sit, you got to look at yourself in the mirror. You have to, you know, like in the book, you know, do your little inventory and see what's going on with you. You know, if you spend the time to be with yourself, you know, there's going to be things you like, things you don't like, things you want to change, things you want to pay attention to. There's going to be a younger part of you that maybe is in pain and you're going to, you know, kind of talk to your inner tribe talk to the different aspects of you. And that's, that leads to love. That leads to self-love. But if you're right, if you don't spend, if we don't spend the time to be with ourselves, then, then how, what do we love? What do we love if we don't know who we are, you know, and the self-knowing is very, very important. Yeah. I mean, this is the basis, right? Um, and that's kind of why, you know, this interesting that the idea of psychology and the idea of expanded states all lead to the same thing. It all leads to who are we? What are we doing here and why? Why are we here? What am I, what am I doing here? <laughs> right? What is my purpose? What, is my, what can I manifest? What is my potential? How do I contribute? How, and that, that comes from knowing oneself. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I love that additional rant at the end. So I'm just curious when, when I, I believe the same thing essentially. And what would you, what would you say, what have you come to for those big questions? You know, like, who are we? What are we doing here? What is, what is the meaning? Have you come to any kind of resolve on that or any kind of uh, even general direction that you could offer to people? Yeah, it's a personal philosophy. So I'm not saying I'm preaching anything here because that's kind of what I've come to touch in myself and to believe. But again, I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm preaching or bestowing any, uh, imposing any personal insight here. Um, I, I do believe 
that we come in this human form from a vast cosmic um, energy field to learn what it's like to be human, which is complicated and which includes suffering and great joy and great uh, complicated emotional turmoil as well as great peacefulness. Uh, we learn to exchange and be in relationship with each other. Uh, so the, 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 the purpose of incarnating, if I may, if I may use this word, of coming to, to be a human being, uh, choosing to come, you know, um, is to experience human life. And the most, I mean, experience human life through our body and through our heart. And I think that the, the, the core of the thing is love. Not love, like romantic love, I'm falling in love, but the, the capacity to see the other as ourselves, the capacity to have compassion for suffering, both in ourselves and in others, and be able to um, go beyond our emotional self, emotional experience, to have compassion for, for another person. And I think that the, the ultimate uh, gift of, that we give ourselves as human beings is to be able to know compassion. Again, I'm not talking about bypassing emotions. I'm talking about real uh, love, really, real empathy, real um, seeing that the other's suffering is the same as my suffering because I know my suffering and I know my joy and I know my capacity and I know my my wonder and my rapture, right? I'm not su just about suffering, <laughs> but, but the, the compassion meaning being with the other, right? Having passion with, right? And so I think that as human beings, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I found in my personal exploration. Again, the, my own personal view that we are coming here to really experience what it's like to be together and, and, and be amongst other people that basically look like us uh, and, and, and create bond and create compassion. That's beautiful. I love that answer. I, Alan Watts gives a similar answer. I think he's like the, the purpose of life is just to be alive. It's so simple that, right. you know, we can't, we're That's not right. even, yeah, we're, 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 we're but you know, being alive, but being alive is very complicated when you think mm -hmm. of it. I mean, you know, the physical experience, people who are ill, people who are dis disabled, people who are, you know, there's, there's a lot of pain sometimes in the body or people who have mental disability or, or difficult in relationship because they are wounded. You know, it's being a human, being alive is wonderful. Yes. And it's also complex, you know. And so do we say yes to, we, you know, the point of being here is to say yes to life in all its form. And mm. yeah, Alan Weitz is right, being alive. And being alive is... Is a big is is a big menu again. It's a big menu. There's a lot. To, there's a lot of beautiful things. There's a lot of challenging aspects of being alive, and that's why we say yes to everything. Beautiful. And and what what have you learned, or or what can you offer in the sense of of finding purpose and meaning? You know, would would some of the ritual stuff that you've uh, learned help? Do you have any specific tools or techniques or processes that really <laughs> helped you, or you really enjoyed the experience that somebody could engage in? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, it's funny you said that because uh, very soon I'm about to put this online course uh, and, uh, and, and, and give people some techniques and practices to, to do actually in the course so they can start to be in touch with these different aspects. Um, so I'm right there with you. You know, I feel like um, what's, been really, what's been really meaningful for me is expressive arts is painting, is making things, is arranging aspects of nature in my house, bringing flowers or wildflowers or grasses. It doesn't have to be involving money at all. Um, bringing nature into my house and has been really important as well as going in nature, of course, but I'm talking about that now. The creative aspect of life, uh, writing poetry, singing, painting, uh, intuitive painting is a really good practice for in touch with oneself and, and it's negative. Um, anything that I do with silence, really good, like earlier, you know, so busy and with busy, having anything contemplative, uh, meditating, sitting by a tree, having a cup of tea and being just with my tea. 
But you know, the, the process of being in one moment, doing only one thing at a time. We are very, very multitasker, and that's a problem in our society. Um, I think that writing in a journal is a very good practice for me. Um, sort of tracking my experience of being human, what is happening in my heart, what is emotionally challenging for me when I go through something. Reaching out to friends is a really important thing, not staying isolated, not feeling ashamed of what I feel, and really leaning on friendships and family members or, uh, yeah, uh, community to help me hold my process if I feel like I'm, you know, fragile. Um, allowing my fragility to be part of my life and feeling supported. So reaching out to friends, um, being able to talk about what's happening. You know, sometimes it's, it's just, hey, I want to take a walk with you. I'm just feeling a little gloomy. And it doesn't have to be like I'm, you know, telling my story for two hours. And sometimes it is really, uh, I need to go to see my therapist or my spiritual, you know, consultant or, you know, my coach or someone to kind of hear me out. Um, um, yeah. So again, uh, having, having, having a way to tend to these different aspects of life in a way that, you know, feels good doing yoga or doing, or going to walk or going to climb, you know, uh, climbing walls is a very good practice for young people. I mean, I used to do that a lot, you know, wall climbing, you know, like, you know, because there is something about, it's a metaphor for, for reaching the height, you know, for climbing, for feeling strong in your body, for being able to reach something. There's something very uh, symbolic there. Uh, swimming, being in water is a very good practice for people who, I mean, depending on where you live, you know, but immersing yourself in water is very cleansing. Um, if you bring your attention to it and you say, I'm bathing and I'm flushing out everything I don't want right now and I'm kind of purifying my body, I'm immersing myself, uh, can be very meaningful. So you can do it for fun, you can do it for exercise, and you can do it for meaning. We're bringing a little spiritual angle to it. You know, ritualistic angle to anything we do. Really, I can bring, I can, I can roll on the floor for my body, or I can, I can uh, feel like I'm lying on the floor and feeling the earth un under me. You know, it's all a matter of what I want to do with that practice. Hmm. At the end, there, I I thought that was an interesting point. Is is the meaning we attach to it, right? Like nothing that happens to us outside in our reality has any meaning. It's only the meaning that we attach to it. And I remember reading, uh, I think it was one of Dr. Joe Dispenza's book, but when they told, it was a, it was a study that they did with uh, house cleaners at uh, hotels. And when they told them how many calories they burned, they started to perceive it as a workout. And so they ended up actually getting fitter and stronger and it, it uh, Im improved their health considerably. And so I think like with the ritual and kind of with that rolling on the ground and if we can create empowering frames around what we do and, and, yes. and attach an empowering meaning, right. even that's if right. it's mundane, I think that's a huge shift in the way that we would explore living, right? Because some people have everything and it's never good enough. And, and you know, I, yeah. I was complaining today, I think about a first world problem. I think I was doing something. I was like, oh God, that's a first world problem. It is annoying, but it, it is, it's a first world problem for sure. And so, you know, how we frame things yeah. and, and see it more ritualistic, more spiritual, more right. meaning in our own way, whatever that is. And even if you have to kind of fake it at first to kind of find it, I think you can kind of grow towards that idea more. I Absolutely. There was a bumper sticker. I was just talking to my, <clears throat> my students recently and I said, there's a bumper sticker I read years ago that says, do it out of duty until you do it out of love. So basically, I owe to myself, sit for five minutes and meditate, you know, because it's good for me, because it calms my mind, because it stops me in my rat race. You know, it's good for me. I must do it. You know, I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't have time for it. I do it. I do it. I do it. And then after a week, two weeks, I said, you know, I really love sitting for myself. I start to love it because I feel the benefit of it. I feel the ripple effect in my life. I feel how it touches all these different aspects. And I believe I start to love it. I believe it's good for me. And first I didn't like it. And I was doing it just out of duty because I felt, you know, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a heart attack. I'm going to too stressed. I'm, I mean, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's a, my doctor told me to meditate, you know, or something. Right. And it became really something that that was 
pleasurable and was a sign of self-love. I do it for myself and I enjoy it and I see how good it is for me. And pretty soon it's had this positive loop, right? Instead of being, okay, I'll do it. It becomes this like, I want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And, you know, I, we only have a, a little bit of time left and I want to shift gears because I'm curious your perspective on this. Uh, I spent the last two years learning from a Mi'kmaq Native American, David Lombard, Senna Pass, and I've met a, a lot of Native Americans, more than most people I know, definitely no expert, but I'm curious. And yeah. also went to the Parliament of World Religions. I met a oh. lot, lot more um, uh, cultures, you know, some, mm-hmm. of, some mm-hmm. of the other cultures and got to hear their perspective on a lot of different things. And what I'm curious about from where you are today and what you've learned from what I've studied is Westerners came over, whatever. And, you know, the school systems came in for native Americans. We wiped out most language. We, you know, we did horrible things. And I'm not saying like we, the white people, whatever you want to say that absolutely horrible things. If you want to take away a culture, you got to take their language and you take their kids. And we did both of those things and it's awful. And now they're suffering consequences from this. And a lot of the people, even Clifford said, none of the kids want to learn uh, the language, some of the history that he, yeah, he can't even pass it down now. And then they're going to lose uh, a lot of their history. And, mm-hmm. and what I learned from Clifford, what I learned from David, and what I learned from Carlos Barrios, who's a Mayan elder, is that their history was oral. And that a lot of these cultures, a lot of these tris- traditions were passed on. And, you know, whoever, come, like the whiteies or North America or Europeans, destroyed yeah. that. And so yeah. what do you think that we can do um, now in America and Canada to, I don't know what the word is for it. It's not cultural appropriation, but like menness, like empower, empower all Native American cultures in Canada and U.S. and around the world today. Is there anything that you see that we could do to start bridging that gap to empower their culture, to refine um, all the things that we've kind of maybe not supported so much language and culture and, and, and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just listening today um, about uh, on the radio uh, that, you know, the, the, uh, the white American culture has never apologized for slavery to this day. You know, for my country in France, the French government never apologized for colonizing Africa and basically destroying the culture there. Uh, you know, I know that in Canada, I was in Vancouver recently, um, I was told that it's only in 1980 that the tribal people could stay in their tribe, that the kids were not forced to go in school, in white school. In 1980, I mean, right, this is very recent. Only now in Australia did the government publicly apologize to the Aboriginal people. Just now, right, just now. So, we are not very advanced as a white culture to understand and even here with, with African-American, you know, uh, descendant of slaves, how to mend, how to um, own, be accountable for what has happened. Um, if there was dialogue, if there were people, you know, like you talking to a, you know, like you do with a Mayan elder or Lakota elder. And you said, what can I do? I feel like, you know, my culture is a responsibility. I bet that they would say, okay, you being here is already a bridge. You being here, inviting a dialogue, entering consciously a dialogue with native people is the way the next generations are going to heal. So I think that there is a, a, you know, a matter of acknowledgement, a matter of you know, people of this new generation that you are and, you know, me doing this kind of bridging, we can bring, um, you know, acknowledgement. Acknowledgement to what has happened. I think that's the first thing. We cannot just help without looking at the past. It's very hard to go forward without acknowledging what has happened. So we don't have to, you know, I mean, we can be very, very contrite and we can be very, very sorry for our ancestors as white people for what has happened to the indigenous world or the African-American people here. But I think that the, the, the first thing is to really say, I'm sorry. I'm so, on behalf of my ancestors, I'm sorry. Right? And I wish to help now. I'm this younger person with a more open mind. I, I'm not here to oppress you. I might oppress you without even thinking I'm oppressing you because I don't even know what 
how to not oppress. You know, I've, I've almost learned to be a, you know, a white privileged guy, you know, or a woman, right? I don't even know what it's like to not be that. But I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to receive what is it you need from me? What do you need from me? How can I help you, right? So a lot of the time, uh, the, the Western culture or the industrial culture or the white culture or whatever, the first nation, uh, the, the, the modern culture, want to help, but they don't really hear what, what's, what, what the need is. You know, what do, what do the indigenous people really want emotionally, spiritually, the respect they need spiritually, the collective support that we can bring to them by helping them revive their, um, helping them, serving them in the way they want to revive their knowledge of herbal healing or sacred ritual that they want to, uh, you know, continue to practice. How do we, how do we serve them? I just came back from Mexico to a wonderful, uh, from a wonderful place. Some friends of mine have a beautiful retreat center. And in Mexico, they host Lakota Sundance. And the Lakota people come down from Lakota to be in their land, to have all people from South America coming. And they're, my friends are uh, Mexican people, and they're hosting. They're being, my land is your land. You host your dance here. You host whatever you want. I'm offering my land to you. And for me, that's repair. For me, that's how we start to mend the pain and to support them. When I go to Mexico, you know, I've been always supporting the education of the children, the health of the people there. Uh, you know, I, for, of course, leave economy there by virtue of, of, of going there with my people. But, but further than that, I'm really trying to see what's needed in the family or other, other you know, people in the town. What do they need? How do they, um, how, how can I serve them? And I wait for them to tell me. I mean, right now I'm sponsoring a kid of my, the grandson of my teacher, you know, to go to school and I pay for his room and for his food and for his uniform, he's in university and I feel really good. I mean, he doesn't have the resources. And for me, I mean, I, I don't have to repair much because I don't know, I'm, this is not quite I'm oppressor, oppression towards them. You know, it hasn't been a personal thing, but uh, it feels that that's, that's the right thing to do. That's the right thing to do. You know, and for me, you know, when I work with my Lakota teacher, she always says, the fact that you're here and you're open to learn and to receive a wisdom from another culture is the way this wisdom stays alive. It stays alive through you, through how you go, what you're going to do about it, how you're going to speak, you know, the wisdom of the stone or the fire or the lodge, you know how precious it's going to be for you. And you carry that in your life. And she says, she's, I said, how can I help? She said, you are helping. You're coming to the lodge. That's help. That's participating. And you're not taking it away and doing something with it or showing off with it. You, you're coming for yourself. Right? And by receiving the teachings, we are helping them. But we have to listen and we have to receive. We have to stop wanting to do things. We have to wait until they tell us what they want from us. I think that's, part of the eagerness to help and do and, and accomplish stuff can be, again, another takeover, you know, another takeover. So I think we have to be working on their timeline with their, their way, you know, that is different, again, time-wise. Right? Hmm. Well, there are a lot of great points there. And I think the biggest one is, is opening a dialogue. Yes. And, and a dialogue with as many people, with as many organizations and as open as possible and, right. and to actually listen and, and br really brilliant way to say is ask, what is it that you need? How can right. we make this right? And uh, it's That's really, right. really interesting thing. Like I had Brian Francis on who's, who's now in the parliament in Canada. And, you know, you look at the treaties that, that we signed when they came here and they had a, apparently they had a really great relationship with the French. They were cool with the French, you know, until the British came over and then bricked it all up. And, and that was the whole thing. But uh, every treaty 
the British government broke. So, you know, they're on land, there's no borders, there's no taxes, there's no nothing. They broke every single treaty. So every time we go to court by our own system, we're breaking our own laws, but it's totally cool. You know, it's only, it's yeah. only for like, however, this institution, whoever's benefiting from the institutions that have been created, you know, from Europe or whatever, then that's fine. Those, those mm-hmm. bankers and those mm-hmm. politics, they're all winning, but you know, they're, they're breaking mm-hmm. their own rules from the own treaties. They've all been broken. Right. And right. so uh, just opening a dialogue, um, yeah. it, it's something horrible that I don't think that we can sweep under the rug. I think that the conversations need to be had and they're going to be challenging and there's no yeah. easy solution. And yeah. it's something that a responsible group mm-hmm. of people, what, even, you know, because they're conquerors, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like a conquering. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not okay. And we're better yeah. than that now. We know yeah. more, you know, we yeah. shouldn't have slavery. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. And we, yeah. and slowly yeah. it got a little bit better yeah. as people got smarter and more compassionate and willing to listen and, right. and, and had, you know, people engaging in those difficult dialogues and then making right. change. And I think that that's what we need to do. We need to have those mm-hmm. conversations. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a big conversation I've had with my teacher and now with the children of my teacher are like, okay, so they have this very sacred tradition of the mushrooms, very held, very held for th- millennia as a sacred ceremony there. You know, there's no play, nobody plays with mushrooms there, right? Very, very sacred, very well, very well done, held very deeply. And now here we are, you know, the mushrooms are everywhere, right? And how do we um, not extract these mushrooms, you know, and put them in the society? And now everybody's like shrooming around and going to parties and this and that. And, and for them, you know, this is really stealing their sacred medicine and playing with it. And this is the ultimate sacrilegious you know i mean really insult right this is like their insult for them right i mean mm. um, yeah, and that's, so and that kind of thing there too because i, I was yeah. in that world you know what i mean and, and and i didn't really kind of you know i did it here and there and i found the experiences valuable but i also treated it very respectfully and it was mm. a like a, a very special thing for me to do this yeah. thing and and want to yeah. have the insights and do it for meaning sure. and it, a lot of the time I could observe in festivals and different spaces how they're being yes. used in different things. And, and right. it can be a lot of fun, you know, you yes. know? but yes. like a psychedelic yes. at Burning Man is a heck of a lot of fun. Um, but, <laughs> I know, I know. I've been there. Know, I've been there. A, yeah. I've been there. I love it. I, I mean, you know, I mean, the thing is like this again, again, what's the intentionality? If the intentionality is to take something and be at Burning Man and watch the burn, and that's what we want to do, and that's the purpose of what we do, it's okay. You know, if we, you know, what is the meaning of here? What is the ritual here? Because everything is a ritual. I mean, we don't have to be so serious about having ritual. We can dance and have a great ritual. You know, it doesn't have to be somber and kind of solemn and, you know, it's so serious, but to have intentionality. And if I take mushroom in Mexico, when I'm in my teacher, you know, on the land and, and it's, it's a, this is a communion with the land and with spirit, it's, 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 it's valid too. So, you know, it's, it's just what we do and, and how we aware of what we do when we do it is the key here, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what I was going to say. And you said it in great words, so I don't even need to repeat <laughs> it. You know, because there is an opportunity with those things, you know, especially, you know, their capability and their potency and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the, the kind of side that isn't as beneficial as just doing it and then no integration. It's like, this is just to have an experience. Yeah. But when it's done, I, I'm not going to reflect. I'm not mm-hmm. going to do anything mm-hmm. that I've learned. And that mm-hmm. was kind of one of the bummers for me when I, you know, when I was doing ayahuasca and, and seeing a lot of people going through those experiences mm-hmm. is the integration was super minimal. And I over know. time, mm-hmm. over a lot of the people that I know have done these things, experimented, um, it seems like they can still be a little bit stuck. And if we add in that understanding, that intention, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. honest intention that comes mm-hmm. from you, um, mm-hmm. you can do it in all these different ways. Mm-hmm. And then you can really mm-hmm. find meaning and really find spirit. And that's the whole right. thing. Everything right. that the indigenous cultures are doing is involved around spirit, nature, connection right. with something bigger. Right. And that's it's right. important and it's sacred. And so right. we, I that's think right. that's important to bring into those. Well, and, and, you bring, and you bring a very good point. I mean, uh, one of the essential points of all this dialogue or, you know, a lot of my mission or in the book is the integration. You know, mm-hmm. why do we go to a Sundance? We, because we go back to our community with a sense of the sacred, with a sense of what it's like to be in community, with a sense of mutual support. 
that's really valuable. What, why do we do a mushroom journey in Mexico? Because we come, we come out with a deeper understanding of, this, of the divine inside us or our emotional turmoil being forgiven or held in compassion. I mean, and, and then we do something with this, right? What do we do with this? How do we, how do we bring to concreteness all this wonderful um, uh, pieces of information or insight, you know, or resolution, right? Uh, uh, this is, you know, to, to know something and not do anything with it. Well, you know, it's kind of there hanging, you know. The idea for us human being is those, those rites of passages, those rituals, those initiations really help us be better human beings, right? For ourselves and for others. So the integration process is really something I've been very passionate about because I believe this is where the rubber meets the road. You know, this is really where it proves itself to be val valuable. Otherwise, it's, it's an experience, it's a moment, it's a ritual, and it's valid. But how does it serve our life and our community and our relationship with nature? You know, that's really where it needs to be uh, concretized. You know, it needs to be acted, you know. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, I 100% agree. I know you got to run. So yes. gonna, uh, I would love to keep asking a whole bunch of questions, but I'll just ask, is there anything that you wish that I'd asked you or you'd like to speak on before I let you go? And where can people find more about you if they want to dive deeper into your work? Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Um, no, I think this discussion was very, uh, very uh, important for me, actually, uh, in a way that, you know, it was not so much about psychedelic or not psychedelic it was more about the ritual and the and what our society is really looking for what is the medicine for the illness of our world and i really appreciate your question i think they were very uh right on uh good direction for you know for, for thoughts definitely no i think it was great if people want to uh look at my work um my website is down right now but that's going to be fixed any minute now and they can find me at uh, francoiseborzat.com and uh, I have some music there that I've composed uh, through ceremony. I have the book. I have another book of poetry. I have my online course coming up and other events that I'm doing, uh, you know, Portland, New York, and various places uh, for the book, as well as for presentation about my ideas like I did today with you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you for yes, your thank work. You so much. I appreciate you sharing you. and I look forward to staying in touch. So yeah. And good luck to you. Wonderful show and uh, all the best. All the best awesome. to you, Matt. Thank okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Have a great Bye -bye. night. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Francoise Borza. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. I hope that you learned a lot. I would really appreciate it. If you like this episode, please take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, tag me at MattBelair. Let me know an insight. Let me know any questions, just any kind of feedback from you, the audience, the listeners to help improve the show, to get the guests that you want to hear, anything that you want, ideal sponsors. That helps keep the show going as well. Anybody you think we should partner with, please let me know. It is a one-man wrecking crew, so all of your feedback is appreciated. It helps me do my job better. Um, also, sharing the show uh, on Facebook and sharing the link from YouTube and the blog is all very helpful. Also, leaving reviews on iTunes and thank you thank you thank you to all of my patrons it means so much it, it has saved my butt more than you know and if it weren't for my patrons I don't think the show will have made it as far as it has so if you want to chip something in go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair and even if it's a dollar something you don't even think about it helps immensely so thank you guys for doing that I really appreciate it for those of you guys who want some coaching and you want to go deeper on any of these topics mattbelair.com forward slash coach Coaching, and I think that's it. Uh, just thank you guys so much for listening. Please do an act of kindness today if you enjoyed the episode. Um, sending you all of my love and my appreciation to wherever you are in the world. Remember that you are whole, perfect, amazing, incredible, worthy, just as you are. So let's wrap this up by coming to a state of peace and coherence collectively as the listeners. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And now just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, inspiration, motivation, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.